Hi, I'm Bernard Leung and you may know me as the executive who has dealt in self-driving trucks with e-commerce logistics and in my spare time, I want to know how autonomous vehicles will transform mobility in Asia. You are listening to Analyze Asia, the weekly podcast dedicated to business, technology and media in Asia. And today, I have Vincent Vinan, Senior Vice President for Nissan in Asia and Oceania. Welcome, Vincent, and it's great to have you here for the first time. Thank you, Bernard. It's really an honor uh, to be part of this. So thank you very much. Yes, and thank you for reaching out. And I'm very interested to talk to somebody who's actually involved in the automotive industry because I always want to hear from them. What do they think about self-driving cars, electric cars, etc.? So I'm so glad to have you on the show. But before that, I would like to get to know you better. How did you start your career? I started my career actually uh, in Nissan, so a long time ago. I've been working for the company for uh, over 30 years. After uh, the business school that I did, and actually an automotive business school, and my uh, obligatory Air Force stint in the Netherlands, I started working for Nissan in the customer service area, actually taking off customers and some of our importers in Europe. And I really started learning very quickly is how important it is to listen to customers. So that was the start of my career in Nissan. And after that, it's been a, quite a long journey ending up here in Bangkok. And in between the career you actually doing a sales and business development for vehicle portfolios that is actually that are actually owned by Nissan. Do I understand that correctly? Yes, correct. So I've always worked in Europe until I came to Asia. I've worked in different uh, countries in the, in the Netherlands, in the UK, in Switzerland, in France. And I've had roles in both headquarter jobs in uh, Nissan Europe as well as uh, specific market jobs. So in Asia, I've been here now uh, just over a year and I hope that I can bring this experience that I've had in Europe into some of the markets here. So in your career journey with Nissan, I guess making the transition from Europe to Asia must be a very big step for you. What are the interesting lessons that you can share with my audience about your career journey so far? The main thing, you have to keep an open mind always because the world changes at an increasing speed and especially in our industry, if you look back maybe 10 or 15 years, the world is changing much faster than it's ever done before. And if you don't keep an open mind, understand is what those changes are. And I'm not talking about the automotive industry. I'm talking about changes in the world in general and the way people interact and consume, but also how they move around. If you don't keep an open mind, you will very quickly be behind the uncompetitive. So that's one of the key things. If you talk about moving to another region like I did, the key there is to be culturally aware, as you need to understand that not every country and not every culture is the same. And if you understand or try to understand that, then you can also see the opportunities there are uh, within each of these countries' markets. Briefly, can you introduce to my audience your company, Nissan, who I'm very familiar with? And in fact, my wife is a fan of the Nissan GTR and she always aspires to own one. And what's your role and coverage currently in Asia and Oceania? Oh, good to hear that your wife likes our brand. And uh, if she ever wants to drive one, maybe we can arrange that. Nissan Motor Company is one of the bigger manufacturers in the world. Actually, we are part of an alliance, as you maybe know, with Renault and Mitsubishi. That alliance is the, today the number one producer of cars in the world. Nissan Motor Company has been there for over 80 years and is uh, quite well known, of course, also in Asia because it's a, a Japanese, originally a Japanese brand. We sell over 5 million cars a year and we are a very global company. So we are presented in just about every market in the world. My role is here in, in Asia is to head the commercial part of the business. That means the sales, marketing, product planning, and after sales for the entire region. So Southeast Asia, as well as uh, Oceania. And that also means that the markets where we basically 
own the importer ship, so consolidated markets, those markets also report to me. My role is to basically grow our business here in this region, obviously, but not just in market share or volume. It is mainly to strengthen our brand. That's my main role in the coming years, is to make sure the Nissan brand gets stronger, but is also maybe better known than it is today in terms of the strength that it has. And probably we'll talk about it a little bit more in this conversation, but our main strength is in terms of innovating technology and making it relevant for our consumers. And we call that uh, Nissan Intelligent Mobility. And that means that we bring technology to our products and services that make people's lives better. And, and this is in different ways. And I think when we talk about electrification of the range or we talk about different stages of, of autonomous drive, th these are the areas where we believe we can add relevant technology and services that make people's lives better. I will definitely relate your offer to allow my wife to test drive a Nissan GTR sometime in the future. But today we want to focus on the future of mobility. And I think I'm actually looking forward to this conversation because I think you will be able to give us some thoughts and insights about the automotive industry and how it is going. But maybe to just start off from a more fundamental aspect of transportation. In your perspective, how do you define autonomous vehicles, which I think I only know as self-driving cars and the concept of mobility for my audience. There's a lot of talk and there's been a lot of talk and more and more about autonomous driving technologies or what is sometimes said driverless cars. As with all the new technologies, they are always surrounded by, on one side, optimism, on the other side, maybe apprehension or people are worried about it. It is true that autonomous drive technology will change how we drive cars. That's definitely the case. I expect it to result in, a, in quite a significant transformation of transportation in general. In terms of the worries or the apprehension comes from the fact that for many generations, we as car manufacturers have always been promoting the driving part, you know, being in the car, enjoying the car. And maybe we said is, okay, if you move towards aut autonomy, then it's more like eyes off the road, but still be in control in terms of, the, of driving the vehicle. Now we talk about taking off your hands, you know, basically saying, okay, full autonomy means you can basically close your eyes and uh, take your hands off the wheel. So it's important to understand what this means in terms of transforming the way we move around in, in vehicles. Autonomous driving is about eliminating the wariness or the boring part of driving. So if you imagine you're on a road uh, for two hours, uh, a straight road, and you have nothing else to do, then that is a first step where you can say is, okay, that, that is not really joy of driving. I could use my time much better uh, in, in that case. So in that way, it's quite an easy way of understanding what autonomous driving could do. Our approach, Nissan's approach, is however, is to keep the driver in the center spot. We don't believe that it should be the technology that's at the center of the driving experience. It should still be the driver. Now, the driver can then have a choice, but overall, we believe that the driver in our development of the technologies and so on, the driver is still the central part. Majority of our customers enjoy driving, and we see this through research, but a very few people enjoy driving in, for instance, traffic jams, or as I said before, boring long stretches. So autonomous driving consists of a number of technologies that will be added to cars, and we're doing that already now, all the way up to probably more the more ultimate ways of uh, like robotics or artificial intelligence, but also sensors and car-to-car -car connectivity. So there's a, there's a range of technologies that make up the different levels of autonomy that you can provide in a, in a vehicle. There are several of these technologies that already exist in cars today, and we sometimes oversee this, but if you look at the braking system, so anti-lock brakes, active cruise control, blind spot warning, parking assist systems at different levels, there are clear examples that basically operate the car or the, or the product autonomously. And, and we don't look at it that way, but all these technologies are already available on many of our cars today. They just are not there yet in full autonomy in terms of getting to the point where you completely let go of 
to control. The idea is to introduce more and more of these technologies into our cars. And the main driver of this is to make driving more safe, more stress-free, but also more relaxing and more comfortable. These are the main drivers for us to bring these technologies to cars today. And we would like to do this on as many cars as possible. We basically call it the democratization of the, of the technology. So it's not about having a technology which you put on your highest luxury vehicle that nobody can buy. The challenge is to make those technologies available on cars that everybody can buy. And that is, that is our direction with Nissan Intelligent Mobility. Of course, like with every uh, key technology, there's a lot of research and testing necessary because especially if you move towards higher levels of autonomy, it is absolutely important that you are that of course safety is is the number one uh, concern that we have and there are three key areas there that are very important we constantly study and evolve on how to integrate into the social, cultural, and economic environments. Each market will need to involve their policies and their governments and regulations to enable autonomous vehicles and the testing for that. And most importantly, it's now about how to make it affordable for the masses. As I said before, we want to make these technologies available to as many people as possible. In the future, people will have an option, in our view, and this is the Nissan view of the future of autonomous drivers, we always want to give people the option to either have full control of the vehicle or to uh, for different levels of autonomous driving. But it's the choice of, of the consumer how far they want to take this. I just want to make one follow-up because I think that there, in the market, usually people talk about autonomous vehicle, but they also lumped it together with the electrification of vehicles. And they're actually separate technologies that are actually driving towards this autonomous vehicles trend. I would like you to actually enlighten me a little bit about how does the electrification of the vehicles play into this concept of autonomous vehicles then? If you look at the technology of an electric vehicle, then it is in a way it's easier to adapt some of the technologies that I mentioned before on an electric vehicle than it is on a conventional vehicle with a petrol or diesel powered engine. Because the technology of an electric car is that the wheels are driven by an electric motor, but items like steering, braking, it's, it's no longer a me a mechanical controlled. Yeah? It's drive by wire, you can say. If you then imagine the technologies that I mentioned before that get towards the autonomy, it's much easier to, to apply those on an electric vehicle. One simple example is if you're in a traffic jam, an electric vehicle doesn't have a gearbox. That means that if you want the vehicle to stop and accelerate again, it is purely activating the electric motor. You don't have to engage the engine or the transmission to restart. So you can imagine that it's much more smooth and much easier to develop technology to allow that start stop or acceleration without interference of uh, yeah of the individual so that's why we believe besides all the other benefits of, of electric driving which we'll maybe talk about a bit more is it makes adaptation of some of this advanced technology easier and also before we move forward i also want to you to also enlighten us about the different levels of autonomous driving because there are five levels and this is actually given from the u.s the traffic commission of highways which is actually talking about level one to level five autonomy. Can you talk a bit about that as well? Yeah, the classification of levels of, of autonomy is, we, we don't look at it that way, to be honest. We, we look at it more, as, I'm, as I said before, as in terms of how can we bring technologies today to the market that allow people to, to drive safer, more, more comfortable, more convenient, instead of worrying about the level one to five of autonomy. Ultimately, whether there are cars and there will be cars that don't need any driver, that is interesting. But as I said before, our, our vision is, is that for quite a long time still, 
people will want to decide themselves uh, to what level of autonomy they want to use their product. So the development of that, if we technically can develop a car that's fully autonomous, yeah, then still we believe we would allow the driver or the, the, the person that operates the vehicle is to make that choice. So the, the levels are more driven by, in my view, the ability to get towards full autonomy technically. But what we find more important is how the consumer, how people use this technology in the future in terms of what is relevant for them and what makes their own life easier, better, safer in terms of moving around. So we don't see it so much in terms of the stages one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, five. It is more about the how the consumer wants to interact with the technologies that will be available, choose their own level of autonomy in that sense. Thank you for clarifying that. There comes to another interesting point. So I'm in the aviation industry. And when I think of drones, I think of that the problem of flying is already solved. What is not solved for unmanned aerial vehicles in drones, for example, in my industry is that we haven't solved the communications, the network, and the ability to actually deal with all the unmanned air traffic that will interact with actual air traffic in the airspace. The same come up to cars, right? When we think about autonomous vehicles, I think that the problem of driving is actually already solved because people created the steering wheel, the different gears, the acceleration, like what you talk about, you have auto parking features, cruise control, and etc, etc. But the real problem for self-driving cars is actually in three spaces, which I think is pretty important, which is energy communications and cybersecurity because the bits in the digital world are now used to shift the atoms in the real world. So maybe I will start with the first, which is energy. What are your thoughts on the following that? What are the current paradigms in energy? For example, I know that some car companies are torn between using hydrogen fuel cells and electrification of cars. How are they different and why car companies chose one over the other or maybe vice versa? Yes, very interesting question. And, you know, if you look now as the choice of powertrains has increased a lot due to the innovations that not just Nissan, but also the other car companies are doing. So we see a, an increasing variety in powertrains. This includes full battery operated electric vehicles, hybrid alternatives in all ways and shapes and fuel cell uh, as well. To be honest, as, as Nissan, as a company, we believe we want to, again, give people options. We don't believe it's just one that is the solution. So in that way, uh, we believe for a period of time, you, you need to, to be able to give a choice. However, at Nissan, we do believe that the future of mobility will be in the area of electric. Uh, and that's why we decided already a long time ago, it's almost maybe already 10 years ago, that we decided to heavily invest in battery, so in full electric battery-driven uh, vehicles. We've been making them longer than anybody else in terms of mass production and we have a very clear plan you know nissan is the first we launched the first mass produced electric car the leaf and we've sold more than i think at the moment it's about four hundred thousand already on the road so we have a lot of experience we've had seven years of experience with electric cars being used by everyday life by everyday people and it works really well and there are no issues with it and the evolution of that development and the, the evolution of development of batteries is going very fast. That means range anxiety, all those things are, are being removed uh, as we speak. So our, our idea is that a big part of future mobility will be electric. Electric could be different levels, by the way. It can be full electric, full battery electric, but it can also be as I said before, another combination of hybrid vehicles. The main question, I think, is what do consumers think? Are consumers ready for this? Because we can think as a company that electric vehicles is the future, but what do consumers think? We commissioned quite an interesting study with Frost & Sullivan just a couple of months ago. What we saw here in Southeast Asia is that one-third, 37% actually, one-third of the consumers in Southeast Asia, when they plan to buy their next car, they are open to purchasing electric vehicle. 
So they're open to buying a car that's operated not by a conventional engine. Now, of course, with the right incentives and the right regulation, the region could actually accelerate the adoption of electric vehicles, we believe, or electrified vehicles. Electric vehicles create a new type of car ownership, and I think this is key. And it's not just another engine. It is a different way of interacting with, not just with traffic as such, because driving an EV is a totally different experience, but it also becomes a more integral part of society, and more specifically, can be an integral part of the energy grid. Because we've developed a technology where it allows you to plug in your car, not just to charge the battery, but to give actually energy back to the grid or to your house, for that matter. So what you see here is the car suddenly becomes doesn't become a an object that moves you from A to B. The car becomes an integral part of your energy management. We believe that is the future. Uh, so more connectivity, connectivity, not just connectivity like social media or through mobile phones, but also connectivity to other areas of society like energy supply. And this is why we think that electric vehicles in different forms are the future of mobility globally, but also here in this region. And also the charging capacity will need to be significantly increased because the, the central question for electric vehicles is that you need to have enough charging stations for the electric cars. And one of the things when I was dealing with looking at self-driving trucks is that if I were to just have one or two trucks, it's not an issue to have charging stations. But once I have about 9 to 15 trucks, I could actually take off an entire power grid. So it also requires changing of infrastructure laws, like buildings able to transmit power as well on that. Maybe I will switch gears to think about another conversation, which is communication. I think the way I would like to think about it is like the phone. The phone used to be me taking a device to make a call, press a few numbers and call somebody. But today the phone is ubiquitous with a different meaning. It's actually a computer. It's actually a walking computer that you can carry with you. And what is happening with the self-driving revolution is that also the reason why a lot of preference to electric cars is also because that a self-driving car is best to be electric car because it's actually digitally enhanced and it's going to be a computer, a car, which is a computer as well. That lies with the communication piece then. How does autonomous vehicles resolve issues like hazard, navigation, and driving where they need to access information from the network itself? I'm sure in Nissan, you all have developed a lot of technologies thinking about interaction with hazards, interaction with the traffic lights and all that. And in a driverless world, the traffic stack may be gone because there's enough information for cars to be able to navigate its way around the roads or the infrastructure that surrounds them. Yeah, you're right. Your story about the drone is no different for, for cars in that sense, because you can manage a lot with the technology, but maybe not everything. So you need to find solutions for that. You know, the advances in artificial intelligence are making cars smarter and more responsive, obviously. So from a technology point of view, we can take this quite far in terms of this ability to maneuver around places, even if they're not always predictable situations. We have a solution for this, for these unpredictable situations, and that is called the SAM system, which is the Nissan Seamless Autonomous Mobility System. How how it works is as follows is if you imagine that an autonomous vehicle is moving through a city and comes across an accident so this is an unexpected event this is not a traffic light or a, something that can be predicted policeman is standing there and stopping everybody or waving his hands to to basically say okay please go to the other side of the street so crossing double yellow lines and avoid against the traffic lights and avoid the, the accident. Now, an autonomous vehicle will not necessarily do this because that, that would put the person in danger if the vehicle would react to that without a very clear instruction. So the solution here is that the vehicle sensors, of course, they will be able to tell us all of those, what I would say, more predictable obstacles. 
But when it comes to one of these obstacles, it doesn't work. So at that moment, basically the vehicle will interface with a, a mobility manager, we would call it, that would then basically support the vehicle to maneuver around this obstacle. This would be, person in the car would not notice this, of course, but the vehicle would automatically connect with the first available mobility manager and he uses the images that he sees from the vehicle and basically maneuvers the vehicle around this place and then the vehicle takes over again as it would do before. Of course, ultimately with artificial intelligence, the learning process of that will further grow and grow. So the need for intervention will be less and less, but we believe still we would need that solution, the S, what we call the SEM solution, to manage those unpredictable situations where they occur. And I think that is the most practical solution to get to a full autonomy in full safety, because that it will always be the prerequisite. We will, it has to be, the safety has to be priority number one in all of these cases. So what you're saying is that the technology of the car is actually evolved towards first augment the driver towards the unpredictable conditions on the road rather than going full autonomous because there, there has to be a phase of transition that for them to actually go into a full autonomy. Am I right to say that? Yeah, we have developed technology where basically the car can maneuver around the city fully autonomous. That is possible. But when you get to these unexpected obstacles, like the accident, at that moment, the system cannot manage that. So at that moment, it will interface with the mobility manager who will use the sensory systems of the vehicle to help the vehicle maneuver around the obstacle, and then the system takes over again. So there is an interaction necessary at that moment, not by the driver, but by a remote mobility manager that will take care of that, those cases. So that's the solution to enable full uh, mobility. The syst- as the system learns from experience, the technology improves, the autonomous technology improves. Vehicles will require less and less assistance, and each mobility manager will be able to guide a very large number of vehicles at the same time. So it's not like we need hundreds of people sitting there watching all these cars. It's the cars will, through the learning, the, the system will improve and improve and improve, and we will need less and less mobility managed to interface or to interact in those cases where the technology cannot manage that obstacle. It's interesting that you are looking at having managers to, to actually do remote mobility. This is very similar in aviation where even we design drones for as autonomous systems. We also have a mechanism to have remotely pilots to actually look and actually maybe help to navigate navigate the drone out of very unpredictable situations. Yes. Yeah, I think it's no different. I think at this moment, uh, that is the way we think we can manage this, what we would call full autonomy uh, in the future. I think one of the most underrated features that people don't talk about is actually cybersecurity. In fact, somebody asked me, what's the future of drone applications? And I always say that, you know, where technology developed for the next two, three years, and then I would just tell them, look, the most important thing is cybersecurity. Self-driving cars being digital computers, they are not immune from computer virus. So how are self-driving cars immunized from hackers? And what do we need to do to ensure safe and secure cars then? Yeah, this is not just for cars. I think the news uh, today again was uh, hacking becomes <laughs> becomes a big problem everywhere. For us, this is extremely important, of course. So we will continue to, to develop firewalls or, or uh, and use uh, encryption technology to make sure that this risk is minimized. All safety-related systems at Nissan are completely and thoroughly checked for for vulnerabilities. That's our obligation as a a company. We're also a member of ISACA, the Information Systems Audit and Control Association, uh, because it's not just about Nissan as a standalone company. This is bigger than one corporation, of course, and it is crucial that as an industry, we work together to make sure that the technologies that we put on cars that could be subject to hacking or intervention by third parties, that is uh, secured. So it, it is one thing that we do in the company, but we also 
to work closely together with, with a bigger body on that. One interesting problem with self-driving cars is about regulation. So how does regulatory bodies think of self-driving cars? I mean, how are standards imposed onto self-driving cars? I mean, you probably would deal with governments in trying to make sure that safety, reliability and compliance. So how do you do that? Yeah, self-driving cars or higher levels of autonomy are relatively new technology. So also when we speak to those bodies or governments is for them, this is also new. So we need to work together with them to evolve their policies and regulations. The other thing is what we sometimes don't realize, but per country, even per region, this can be very different. So I'll give you an example. If you are in Bangkok or in Hanoi or in Manila, the road conditions in those cities are so different than they are on a city like London, Paris, or Tokyo, because you have many, many bikes. So therefore, the systems will interact completely differently or need to be set up in a way that you can cope with this if you want to implement these type of technology. So the complexity of it is not just what the governments in terms of regulations will impose or or create. It is about being ready with your technology to be able to make it a solution for that market and make it safe. You know, in Australia, we do special testing for sudden kangaroo movements, which maybe sounds strange, but you don't have kangaroos in other parts of the world. So you need to make sure that your cars are tested for that. We're less worried about the regulations. We're more concerned about making sure that the technologies that we bring can be operated safely within each market. And then we do what we normally do with regulations. We comply and we discuss with the governments and explain to them how we can bring these technologies safely. We're not so concerned about that. It's more about making sure that it it matches with the market circumstances. Are we going to be driving or be driven? even in the future. Yeah, I think both. <laughs> As I said before, is we think a bit differently about the future of driving is we keep the driver at the center of our development, not the technology, because we believe the technology is there to enhance the driving. And whether that's full autonomy in some cases, because it helps the driver to spend his time more in a different way, but it can be different levels of, of autonomy. The key driver for us is that it gives the driver more freedom, more option, and more control to basically manage their own everyday life. And this is different per customer. It is not the same for everybody. So we believe it's both. You can be, ultimately, the technology will be there where you can be driven if you choose to be driven. But if you want to drive, you can drive. And if you enjoy driving, you maybe want to choose to to do that. So this is the way we see it. It's not one or the other. And it's definitely not going to be only be driven. We don't think so. Nowadays, we have ride-sharing services like Uber, Lyft, Grab, and Gojek. What are the key trends in mobility and transportation for Asia then? What we have to consider is, in general, what is happening, not just in terms of mobility or transportation, but the the bigger picture. First of all, think about air pollution. I live it here every day. The air, because of the enormous amount of people that live here, plus still the emissions from vehicles is very high, and it has actually risen in this region by 71% since since 1990. So that that is an issue in itself, air pollution. We need to think about that. Secondly, urbanization. East Asia and the Pacific region is the world's rapid urbanizing region. You know, the average urbanization rate is at the moment 3%. And by the end of this year, half of the region's population will be in urban areas. Jakarta, Bangkok, Manila, huge, huge concentrations of people. And that changes the way you look at mobility and the solutions that you need to offer. Digitization, you mentioned it before. There are more mobile phones in this region than there are people at the moment. In countries like Thailand, Indonesia, Philippines, people on average spend more than three hours on social media every day. It is something you need to consider. So if you spend time in a car or you're driving, you need to understand is that people are interacting with each other through social media or mobile connection almost the whole day. So you need to also make sure in your mobility you you consider that. And then power sources, as you asked me before, is what what are the the changes in power sources? And we believe that battery-driven electric vehicles or 
hybrid alternatives are the future. But for that, you need to make sure the infrastructure is there as well, uh, whether it's charging infrastructure or it is, as you said, the regulations and the, the rules that are around the different ways of moving around in a vehicle. Nissan's solution to that is Nissan Intelligent Mobility, where we look at these different elements to find the solutions to address these key trends that are happening. Uh, we believe the combination of electrification of our range plus the different levels of autonomous driving will give answers to these specific uh, challenges and will actually make lives better for people when they use our products. So Vincent, many thanks for coming on the show and uh, share with me your thoughts on the future of mobility. So in closing, I have two questions for you. My first question is, can you recommend both podcasts or anything that has impacted your work and personal life recently? Yeah, I, I was thinking about whether it should be a book. But there's two things that I've just gone through last month, which for me personally was very on one side encouraging, but also exciting. I joined the first World's Women's Forum in Singapore. And as a male in front of 800 predominantly <laughs> ladies, it can be quite intimidating. But <laughs> why I want to mention it, because it was very encouraging for me to see that within these discussions that we had there, which was a lot about, of course, inclusiveness, uh, gender diversity, and so on. But a big part of the discussion was about these trends that we just talked about and how mobility can be more inclusive. And inclusive means that it takes that the, the decisions that we as car companies make in terms of the development of our products, how can we make sure that it covers not just the traditional male-oriented car industry vision, but also a much more inclusive way of looking at it. And that means you look at consumers in total, you look at the, uh, what people want, not just based on traditional clustering of people based on, on gender or how much they're culturally engaged. So, so therefore, that, that was one eye-opening event for me, and it was extremely interesting. I think next year we will probably join again uh, because it is really valuable for us. Secondly, it was the at the same time the World Economic Forum was going on in Vietnam. Although Personally, I wasn't there, but my colleague was there, and he met with six ministers or and senior officials of six markets here in this region. And the discussion was only about uh, what we've just been discussing in this podcast, is about how can you bring, as a manufacturer, to our, to our countries electrification and more safer driving technologies and so on. So it is not we as a manufacturing pushing these technologies. It is there is a clear demand both from consumer side, but also from government side in terms of moving forward. So there's a clear recognition that some of these trends that are going on in this region need to be addressed. We are very happy with this. It really encourages us that we're on the, on the right track, I think. So that was my experience that I think in the very recently made, made a quite a big impact on the way I look at my work. Interestingly, I was actually speaking in that World Economic Forum ASEAN event on drones and also encountered the same government officials that your colleague is speaking to as well. So my last question, how do my audience find you? Well, I live in Bangkok, but uh, maybe the easiest way is to do it through Twitter. So twitter.com slash Wynan underscore Nissan or twitter.com slash Nissan AO. And LinkedIn as well. Yes, LinkedIn, you can find me as well under my name. And you can find me at Bernard Leung. And of course, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Acast, and SoundCloud. And you can also tweet to me, give us your feedback, give us a five-star rating on iTunes and also a star either on Overcast or Pocketcast that will help us in discovery. Of course, recently, just as we talk about in World Economic Forum, I discovered a lot of my listeners there, which is good. Uh, they're all decision makers. So I will hope that you all can continue to support the podcast as of such. So Vincent, many thanks for coming on the show and thanks for having this conversation conversation with me and I look forward to speak to you again. Yes, thank you, Bernard. Thank you very much.